This morning, we are at week six, I think, of our Transformed Life series. And the theme of this week is belonging to his family. Belonging to his family. Let's just pray. Father, I just want to thank you for your abundance. I thank you that you are a God who gives and doesn't stop giving. I want to thank you for all the blessings, the spiritual blessings we have in Christ Jesus. I thank you for all the material blessings, Lord, that you've given us to steward wisely. Father, I pray even this offering that we're giving now, Lord, may it be used for your glory. We thank you you're a God of multiplication, that what we give to you, you multiply and increase. And we just pray increase over everything that we give for your glory, we ask. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. So, Transformed Life, I hope you've been enjoying this series. Uh, it's based, if you're new to us, on a book by Dave Smith, pastor of uh, a church in Peterborough, Kingsgate in Peterborough. And uh, we've just been going through what it really means to live out and experience a truly transformed life in Christ. Last week, Rob highlighted the difference between this new life and our old life, which wasn't really a life at all. In fact, we were spiritually dead. If it was a life, it was a life of no hope, of no future. It wasn't a life at all. But praise God, Rob said, but, but, and it's a big but, we have all been made alive in Christ. Now, Paul, the writer to this letter to the Ephesians that we're going through, moves us on now to explain that you cannot live out this transformed life apart from a transformed community. This transformed life is designed to be worked out within the context of a transformed community. You know, he's we've been looking at how we have this new identity in Christ. We've been looking at how we've had this new purpose in Christ. Now we see how God meets our deep need for a sense of belonging, and that's found in his family, the church. This transformed life is not worked out in isolation, but in the context of his church. We need one another. I don't know what your concept of church is. If I was to mention, you know, what's the first phrase that jumps into your mind when you, I say the word the church, it could be all sorts of things. I wonder what your neighbors or colleagues would say was the first thing that jumped into their minds when you say, I'm going off to church. I wonder if you'll hear phrases like out of touch or uh, uh, culturally irrelevant. Maybe even, oh, it's just a bunch of divided people bickering or a judgmental place, or, or a money-grabbing or controlling place. Maybe that's the sort of image that you might hear when you mention the word church. Maybe you hear phrases like, actually, I think of family. I think of belonging. I think of community. I think of encouragement. I think of a lifeline. I, I think of generous place where I feel nurtured. Maybe that's the sort of phrases that come out. I think it's interesting that 
probably for most people, Jesus isn't really the issue with coming to faith. It's, it's often the church and all that goes with it. If you've done an Alpha course, you may remember the, uh, the quote from Billy Connolly that says, I can't believe Christianity, but I think Jesus was a wonderful man. And that phrase was really rooted in his own experience of this of the church growing up and this deep mistrust of the church as he grew up and rather than being a wonderful witness pointing to the fact that Jesus was so much more than a wonderful man he was the son of God and he is the son of God he is the source of life itself in fact for Billy Connolly the the church was quite the opposite it became a barrier to him seeing that Jesus was more than just a wonderful man And I think for us, when we talk about the church, that we don't allow our own negative experiences to color or to shape actually what God's plan is and always has been for his bride, as we've been hearing about, for his church. And we need to keep going back to the word of God and allow his truth his word, to raise, to elevate our expectation as to what it means to gather as church. I love the fact that our worship seems to tie in so often with the word that we bring. This is what's been coming. Raise our expectation. We're in something incredible here, something miraculous. We need to raise our expectation about what it actually means to be the people of God. To raise our expectations of what it means to gather in his name. Because for Paul, the church was something beautiful. Something miraculous. Something vital to our faith. You know, his past life was given to to persecuting the church. And yet, when he encountered Jesus... And Jesus transformed his life. It also transformed his view of the church. Do you remember on the road to Damascus? Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus so personally identified with his church. Why are you persecuting me? And so Saul then became Paul. He understood that the church was something that Jesus died for. And ultimately, something that Paul gave his life for, to see the church become all that God intends it to be. And so we're at Ephesians 2. We're just going to start with reading verses 19 to 22. This is how Paul describes the church. From verse 19, this is you. So now you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. It's, it's a beautiful passage. And if you notice, Paul is, is using three pictures, if you like, of the church to describe the church. 
Now, in Paul's day, this, this word, the church, or in the Greek, ecclesia, was a really common word. It was used to describe any sort of gathering of people. It could be a club, or a rabble, or something a bit more formal. In fact, in Acts 19, we see this word ecclesia describing a riot, as well as describing a formal legal gathering. It was basically just a gathering of people. And so Paul is wanting us to see that when Christians gather as an ecclesia, as a, as a church, it is actually something very different and something totally unique. Totally unique. We're not a riot, although sometimes it feels like that. We're, we're not a club. We're the church of Jesus Christ, God's family. And he starts by saying, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with God's people. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we are transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We have a new identity as we've been looking at. We've got a new passport. It says citizen of heaven. Before you're British or South African or Nigerian or male or female, before all of that, you're a child of God. You're a citizen of heaven. You've got a new passport, if you like. Contrast that to before we were in Christ. One of Paul's favorite phrases. He's often talking about us being placed in Christ. In verse 12, just before that passage we've read out, he says this. At the time you did not know about Christ, you were foreigners to the people of Israel. And you had no part in the promises that God had made to them. You were living in this world without hope and without God. That is the truth of who we are and who we were, sorry, before we gave our lives to Jesus. You know, prior to the cross, the only way to be one of God's people was to be born into the Jewish race. But praise God, his, his plan was so much bigger than just to bless the Jewish nation, but to bless all the nations on the earth. Paul goes on. In verse 13, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, I love this, you who were once far away, discluded, not included to, into this wonderful promise, have now been brought near, how? By the blood of Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross. And therefore we get to verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. Isn't that wonderful? There was no possible way we could have been included into the promises of God apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. We've come home. We've come home. We've been included into this story of redemption through Jesus Christ. I love, and Claire and I love traveling to different countries. We love experiencing different cultures and different food and trying our hand at different languages and usually ending up in a bit of a, a mess. I love the, the, the excitement and the adventure of it all, but most of the time, you, you kind of feel like a fish out of water, most of the time. However hard you try and fit in, you kind of feel like a fish out of water, and there is always this sense of security when you finally land back in Gatwick or Heathrow and you see the yellow signs in English. There's a sense of, I'm home. Security. I know the customs. 
I, I know the quirks of this country. I know the language. I'm home. And the truth is, until you come to Christ, you will never feel spiritually home. You will never feel at home spiritually. When people give their lives to Jesus, we should say, welcome home. Welcome home. Claire and I spent some time in South Africa a while ago, and we were in the middle of Soweto, and uh, we were invited to, to church there. And in many ways, it was a completely alien experience. For one thing, it was huge. Uh, 4,000 people gathered four or five times in a Sunday uh, to cater for the, for the huge numbers of people. Uh, there were huge bouncers, security guards on the doors because it was quite a rough, rough neighborhood. And they had security and bouncers all the way down the aisles, you know, just to make sure that things were kept in order. It was a little bit weird. The congregation spoke seven different languages. The preaching took forever because he would say one line. And I think this Sunday they cut it down to four other languages. But he would say a word and then it was... Translated, 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 translated. He would then say the next slide. It took, it took for ages. But when we started worshipping, the presence of God was just there. Felt totally at home. Felt totally at home. We were singing different languages. We were singing different songs. But it felt like home. Why? Because together we're citizens of heaven. We might come from different backgrounds and different cultures and speak different languages, but we were coming to worship the one God. We were citizens of heaven together. It felt like home. You know, of all people on the planet, Christians should understand better than most what it means to be foreigners and outcasts who have found a place to call home better than anyone else because that is what we have experienced and kind of without getting too off the point I love it when the church is the one that raises her voice for the vulnerable for the outcast for, for the refugee children you know particularly when the government turns its back on vulnerable refugee children there's something powerful when the church speaks up. Because we have something to model about a community that knows what it's like to be a foreigner and a stranger and yet have found a home, a place to belong. This is what we need to model. We're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. But Paul goes on to say something even deeper than that. His second picture, you are members of God's family. This is an altogether deeper relationship than just being fellow citizens. You know, it's a deeper relationship, not just between us and God, the children of God, but also a deeper relationship between each other, between each other. We're adopted into the one family. You know, we, we may not be called Sutton Family Church anymore, but family will always be at the very heart of who we are and what we, we're called to be. A true family is a safe place, isn't it? It's a place where you can be yourself. 
don't have to put on airs and graces. This is me. And know that you're loved and accepted. I read a report just the other day about the, the nightmare behavior of kids when they come back from school. And actually, this report went on to say that the reason why kids are always such a nightmare when they come back from school is because they feel safe. They feel at home. And you may not like it as a parent, but they've been spending all these hours at school trying their best, being as good as gold, and then they come home, they feel safe, and I can let my hair down, and sometimes behavior gets worse. But it's actually because they feel truly safe and accepted and at home. Great families accept you, not for what you do, but for who you are. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Great families encourage one another. They celebrate one another's successes. It's not competition. When a family member does something wonderful, you celebrate together. You're for one another. You bear one another's burdens. It's a place where short accounts are kept where offenses are dealt with swiftly, where forgiveness is administered quickly, not held on. Yes, it's messy at times, because we're family. But it's something that only in Christ can it really work. Because on paper, this really shouldn't work. You know, usually when people from different backgrounds, different age groups, different experiences come together, usually that equals disunity and factions. Usually it's, it's kind of uh, ingredients for ageism and sexism and classism and any other ism you can think of. Yet when the church gathers, it can and should work. Why? Because Jesus hasn't just reconciled us to the Father. He's also reconciled us to one another. Just read Ephesians 2, 14 to 16. It says this, For he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh, that's Jesus on the cross, the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in the one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Now Paul here is speaking specifically about the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles, the non-Jews. In fact, you know, in the temple in Jerusalem, the second temple, there was actually a dividing wall between those Jewish worshippers and the Gentile worshippers. There was a sign saying, pass this at pain of death. And yet Paul is saying, parts, very much part and parcel of Jesus' finished work on the cross was to demolish those walls of hostility. Whatever those walls are, Walls of misunderstanding, walls of prejudice, or suspicion, or hurt. Whatever those walls are, division and hostility has no place in God's family. Why? Because Jesus has torn the walls down. 
Jesus has torn the walls down. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew or Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Now that's not saying we, we lose our distinctiveness, but rather it's saying we celebrate our distinctiveness. We can value equally our distinctiveness. We are all one in Christ. I think the challenge, though, for us is at times we can be tempted to kind of pick up the, the, the stones of the rubble of these walls that Jesus has torn down and, and be tempted to start rebuilding them. We, we can rebuild them because of, because of anger. I can't believe they've said that to me. I can't believe I've been treated in that way. We, we build walls because we've been rejected. I just want to protect myself from getting hurt again. That's all I'm doing. We can be tempted to start building walls. And Paul knows, and God knows, how easy it is for us to do that. Which is why he goes on in the next couple of chapters, Ephesians 4 verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to not... Build walls to keep this unity. You know, in a, in a world where kind of building walls has become a, a political strategy, let's model something completely different. Let's make sure that in the community of God, these walls of hostility stay demolished. Stay demolished. Back in South Africa, Claire and I visited another church in, uh, right in the inner city of Pretoria. And I went there and I commented to the pastor how wonderfully multicultural this church looked. It was great, particularly obviously in South Africa. There was a real sense of, of, of unity there. And he said, actually, he said, one thing they are struggling with is, is that two opposing, historically opposing tribes had recently become Christians and they were really working hard at this unity because historically those tribes were totally against one another rivals they wouldn't even eat together because eating together was a sign of trust and friendship something that just did not exist between those tribes and and he was a little bit worried because he had planned a church lunch afterwards and what was beautiful was at that church lunch, both tribes agreed to share food together for the first time. And I th the pastor was, was pretty much in tears. And it was something beautiful as these tribes realized that no matter how much of their heritage and how much of that indoctrination about the opposing tribe was, actually Jesus had broken down those walls of hostility. Jesus had broken down that division. And they were actively modeling this new transformed life within a new transformed community. It goes beyond all other factions. Living a transformed life means having transformed relationships. Each one of us has been given the ministry of reconciliation. And we need to make every effort, like those tribes, to keep the unity and the bond of peace means forgiving one another. It means 
believing the best of one another. It means honoring one another. Maybe even this morning there's someone you need to extend a hand of, of peace to. Maybe you need to forgive someone. Maybe even now you're thinking, actually, maybe I'm building some walls here. Instead of building up walls, let's build up one another. Amen? Amen. We're fellow citizens. and We're a family. But what makes us even more distinct is where Paul goes next. Third picture, we are part of God's temple. We are part of God's temple. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Remember, the temple was the place that was set apart, dedicated to host the presence of God. Uh, And we see this physically enacted out throughout the Old Testament in the tabernacle and then in the temple. In the Holy of Holies, that place of God dwelling in the midst of his people. That is what made them distinct from all the other peoples. Remember Moses said, God, do not send us out of here unless you come with us. What will make us distinct from all the other peoples around us if you are not with us? It was the presence of God that made them as a family of God distinct. And it is the same today. We're distinguished, yes, by how we love one another. As Jesus said, so the world will know that it was God who sent him. We're distinguished by how we love each other, but even more amazing is the fact that we are also distinguished by the very presence of God. And God's plan has always been to have a living temple, not made out of human hands, but by living stones, built together, to be a living temple. Jesus, the cornerstone, united in him. You know, if nothing else, that should raise your expectations when we gather together as God's people. Where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. Why? Because we're coming together as this living temple. It should raise our expectations that God is with us and and really anything can happen. Do you come on a Sunday morning thinking, We're gathering as the temple. We're going to be hosting the presence of God. Anything can happen. Do you come with that sense of expectation? We can experience heaven this morning together. We had a prophetic word given to us as a church almost a year ago to the day, actually. And it was a picture of a temple. And... Some of the stones had fallen out and were just lying, almost forgotten about really, on the, on the ground. And as this person was relaying this picture, she saw one by one these stones were being picked up, dusted off, cleaned up, and slotted back into the structure. And again, as she was relaying this picture, she then saw other stones that were already in place, but they'd looked a little bit weather-worn. I grew up in Bath. There was a lot of Bath stone. And a lot of these beautiful, intricate carvings had got a bit sort of weather-worn. You couldn't quite see what the image was. And as this lady was prophesying over us as a church, she saw the, the hand of a master craftsman redressing the stones, allowing them 
to reveal the glory and the mastery of the creator. Allow that glory to be shone out again. And she just saw this whole temple radiating with the presence of God. You know, maybe you have felt a bit disconnected from the church. It's a word that Mike brought even this morning in our worship. Maybe you just feel a bit disconnected, a bit left out. Feel a bit like one of those stones that have sort of just left on the verges, perhaps. God wants you to be placed back into his living temple. You are a vital living stone. You are needed in this living temple. And really, that's our prayer, that everybody would feel a place and know a place to belong. And maybe others can relate to to feeling a bit worn, a bit weather-beaten. You've weathered some storms. And God is a master craftsman. He wants to reshape you, redefine you, so that you can display his glory even more fully. Just take a moment. God, is that, is that me? You know, there is something tangibly powerful when the people of God gather in his name. We, we only just taste little pieces of it. God has got so much more for us. You know, in fact, Paul describes a chapter later that it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God, this multifaceted, multidimensional wisdom of God, is now made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. It's through the church. Doesn't that amaze you? God has chosen to reveal his wisdom through you and me to the world around us, to the principalities and powers and authorities in heavenly places. It's astounding. Raise your view of the church. Raise your expectations. You know, does it make you want to invite your friends and neighbors? Come and experience God afresh. This is unique. Nothing else on earth is like when the people of God gather. I'm just going to finish because I'd like us time to worship and to pray as well. I want to finish with the words of Bill Hybels. I don't know if you've read his book, Courageous Leadership. So it's quite a classic, but he says this. And I think Paul would say a huge amen to this. There is nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources to those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addiction, frees the oppressed and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organization on the earth is like the church. Nothing 
even comes close. Let's raise our expectancy when we gather. This is who we are. We're citizens of heaven. We're the family of God. We're the very dwelling place of God by his spirit. Let's gather Sunday by Sunday in your life groups. When you pray in twos or threes. Let's come with expectant hearts. This is the church. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. Maybe the banker come back. I love to give us time to really reflect, perhaps, on, on what we've been looking at. You know, we're going to worship with a song, but let's just take time to think. Have I allowed a lower view of the church to, to, to color my thinking and to lower my expectation? Have I allowed that to creep into my view of God's church? Again, maybe there's someone that you need to forgive. Even this morning, even if that person's in this room, why don't you just go to them? Just express your heart to keep the unity of the Spirit. Maybe you recognize you've been building walls. Why don't you just repent to God about that and start building bridges? Start asking him for healing and wholeness. And again, maybe you felt like those fallen stones, as, as was already mentioned. You feel a bit detached. I'd love to pray with you this morning. Why don't you decide today to recommit yourself to God and to his church? We cannot live this transformed life in isolation. We were saved to be part of God's family. Okay, amen. Why don't we just uh, stand if you want, let's worship.